Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome back to the third episode of The Grind podcast. As uh, always is with me, Chad Grigsby. Hey. hey, Chad. Hey, Dave. How are you? Hey, Chad. I'm doing fine, <laughs> Chad. <laughs> me too. <laughs> hey, we're, we're excited about today. Um, this episode really is going to kind of focus on bivocational church planting or marketplace church planting, intentional engagement uh, with the marketplace. Uh, from a church planning perspective, we've got Andy Witten. We're going to be uh, interviewing here in a little bit. You guys are going to love that. And and so, uh, you know, Chad, you had any experiences with Bivo? Yeah, a little planning? bit before planting in Batesville. I was um, I was in Arlington, Tennessee, a small s- suburb of Memphis, and I worked at Starbucks for a couple of years there. Uh, r- really good experience. Uh, they had great insurance, uh, so yeah. that was good. <laughs> Loved coffee, drank a lot of coffee, got a free pound of coffee every week. So that was good. But, you know, one of the things that was best about that is just, just the relationships I built at at Starbucks. Yeah. And, I mean, we had a same-sex couple there, uh, had, you know, relationships outside of marriage there <laughs> happening. So just just really in a situation where bringing Jesus to that work workplace was a great opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was good not only for income, but it, but it was just, man, it just put me in a place that I never would have been sitting in an office 40 hours a week or something like that. Yeah. You know? So so it was tough, you yeah. know, when, when I finally walked away from that uh, that job. I didn't cry many tears, uh, <laughs> uh, but but it was neat to have to have an impact there. I remember even the, the same-sex couple giving Jessica and I a wedding present uh, yeah. that we still have today. It's like a, it's a laundry wicker laundry basket that six years later we still throw our dirty clothes in, you know. That is a sturdy laundry basket. I'm telling you. So. A good gift. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, my, my experiences, in Bivo world really always centered around going to school and you know, trying to find some way to pay the bills, you know, while I was in ministry. I pastored, my first church I pastored was in Northeast Arkansas. I was going to school at Williams and working mm-hmm. in the post office there. And so balancing school and work and ministry was always a challenge. And, you know, my dad used to say to me all the time, he said, you're going to go tonight, uh, go to bed at night, not wondering if you neglected something, but what you neglected. Mm-hmm. And, and trying your best to not neglect the same things over and over mm-hmm. so that you either lose your job, lose your ministry, or lose your family. Yeah. And so dad's full of all kinds of wisdom, and that was one that really stuck with me and, and really has forced me to kind of look at, you know, balancing life, family, and ministry. And so, yeah. which is one of the great challenges for bivocational church planting. And uh, we'll talk to Andy about some of that uh, yeah. here shortly. I think I think one of the principles that st- stands out to me about that is make sure that we're disappointing the right people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. You, you don't want to disappoint the wrong people. Exactly. And, and that helps you prioritize in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, never leave your family out uh, yeah. on this because uh, yeah. you can you can have a great ministry and have a wonderful job, make lots of money, and lose your family in the process, and that disqualifies everything. Yeah. So no yeah. good. All right, let's get uh, Andy Witten on the phone and begin our conversation with him and uh, about bivocational marketplace church planting. Welcome, Andy Witten, to the Grind Podcast. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Chad and I are excited about this, man. Uh, we just absolutely love your Facebook posts and your stories every day 
Gosh, you're the one, huh? I'm, I'm, <laughs> the, one. I'm the one. Yeah, or we're the two. We're the yeah, two. That's right. So uh, we're your two biggest fans, man. Mm. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and, and that should creep you out completely. Uh, you know, and that, uh, that Chad and I look forward to your post. But uh, anyway, man, uh, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. This is our third episode. And so uh, I think we're finally starting to get in a little bit of a rhythm uh, with this. And so uh, so you're not the, the first or the second lab rat. Uh, you're, you're one awesome. that we can experiment on a little bit more and know what we're doing. So how about that? Very good. Very <laughs> right. good. Hey, Andy, uh, share, share a little bit about your, your journey in planting the root. Okay. Yeah, um, really, my my journey with the roots started. Um, I kind I kind of got punked by the gospel. I guess is the best way to did, say that. Did you say punked? Yeah, I <laughs> okay. mean, just just, rad- sure. just, just radically um, assaulted by the gospel. I grew up in church, um, grew up in the institutional setting, and just that was all I knew, and um, just. Uh, absolutely overrun by the gospel. I, 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 just, I enrolled in seminary. I knew God was calling me to um, ministry, and I knew that there was more to life than just the church. And uh, I'm not even sure who suggested that um, via conversations and via my question um, to, to get involved in listening to podcasts. Um, but uh, the first person that they suggested I listen to was Matt Chandler, um, one of the first times I was listening to Matt Chandler, he wasn't even there, hmm. and Tol- and uh, Tolly and Chavijan was preaching at his church, and so oh, I, yeah. I, re- I really liked what he was saying, and um, and so then, you know, I, I just started listening to Keller and Chavijan and J.D. Greer and Matt Chandler, and the gospel just started to act, just come to life, and um, everything that I was hearing in the church um, not that it, not that it was contradictory. It was just disconnected to a life that was that was centered and filled with the gospel. And so, um, God just began to to kind of work in my life to say, "Hey, there's got to be um, there's got to be something more." And and maybe that um, maybe you can be a part of of, of a movement that's this gospel fueled. And so um, that's kind of what the root is. It's it's about it's about centering people on the gospel and how the gospel changes everything. It really does. Uh, a life that is fueled by the gospel changes the way you look at the world, the way you look at your job, the way you look at your home, the way you look at your neighbor. Um, and so that's that's really what the roots about, and um, we're excited to to be a part of it. Yeah, very cool. Hey, and and you've been kind of talk about your ministry journey a little bit. You've been a worship pastor, and you've pastored an established church. So kind of talk about that, and you know, and kind of what you saw and all that that kind of led you to church planting. And uh, okay, with yeah, the root. yeah, I was I was a. Uh, God threw me into the mix um, as a youth pastor and as a contemporary worship leader. Um, my whole life has been about transitioning churches from traditional to contemporary worship. Yeah. If there was ever a terrible calling on anyone's life, that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's that's uh, that's part of <laughs> what I've been doing. But um, that wasn't really that difficult. But uh, the the real the real disconnect with the church, I was just, I was discontent, uncontent. I didn't have any sense of, of we were really making that much of a difference. Um, and so God just began to work on, on simplifying things and, and trying to, um, to use John Mark's language to, um, to burn the church, to, to really put it in the biblical furnace 
and find out what are the elements that, that will remain when you pull it out. And um, all I could really come up with was the gospel um, and the gathering, and and I don't really see a, a need for a whole lot else. And so um, I began to kind of philosophize and dream about what what would it look like if all we had to offer was the gospel? We didn't have any programs, or we didn't have any paid staff, or we didn't have um, any buildings or utilities. What if we only could offer the gospel? Um, what would it look like? And um, so far, the results are it looks like a, a group of people in my living room just, just trying to, to get to the heart of God. So it's yeah. fun. It's been a good journey. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think? I know part of what you do, or the biggest part of what you do is bivocational church planting and or marketplace church planting intentionally doing that share with us what you think are some of the strengths uh, of doing ministry that way and also some of the biggest challenges okay well i mean for sure the strengths would be that that you're in the community you're you're meeting people um one of the one of the weaknesses of being inside the institutional church for so long was i i never met any lost people i hung out all day with saved people, and mm-hmm. I, I love saved people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love them, um, and I love the church, and I, I and and I love um, everything the church does. Uh, but you can't really evangelize people in the office very well. Every once in a while, you get an unsafe secretary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it, but the evangelism kind of it kind of falls on on the minister's side. We just don't practice it very often. So the the advantage is being in the workplace by far, um, being out there with lost people. Um, And in my particular situation, the the company that I work for is a second chance employer. And so the the majority, uh, upwards of 90% of the people in our company are convicted felons. They're ex-cons. They just got out of prison. And so um, it's just a really neat ministry for for me. But the weakness, of course, is time. Um, I have I have no time uh, for almost anything outside of work. Uh, I I, I kind of squeeze it in on the weekends. Uh, the traditional ministry roles that I grew up in of hospital visits and and lunches and meetings with people all the time. Um, you kind of have to kick that out, and and your church has to learn to be self feeders uh, and and take care of themselves. And so we, we've adjusted, we've learned, and uh, we're, we're really doing well with that. But to, to try to do a traditional pastoral role and work 40 hours and have four kids would be, um, would be almost impossible. So yeah. I'm not going to sacrifice my wife or my kids until I've sacrificed um, the traditional pastoral yeah. roles. I yeah. say just trade in one of your kids and you should be good. I, I, I tried that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and really the, you know, the bivocational marketplace model is, is not just driven and shaped by, by mission, but it really is driven and shaped by a particular view of ecclesiology uh, of the church. And to, to be able to have margin in your life and to be able to have some, some good natural rhythms it can't just be all about you, you know, as That's the right. as the pastor. So, kind of kind of talk about that a little bit and how you know you're you're you know involving other people in mission and equipping people to be on mission in their everyday lives. So it doesn't just all fall, uh, you know, on you in that traditional kind of pastoral lead role. Yeah. Um, well, that I mean, you mentioned ecclesiology. That would be a definite driving force in our church. We, we talk about that a lot. We talk about um, the A-test model, 
first time I heard um, Alan Hirsch talk about that, um, yeah. it, it really kind of blew me away um, how how we've missed it completely. Well, a lot we missed a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've missed a lot of things. I, I really started to reevaluate whether I'd read the Bible or not. Because once <laughs> I started to to reread it, it's like, man, I don't remember this at all. Um, so, um, you know, when he talked about that and the 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 idea of being apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, um, all I'd ever really heard about was being a good shepherd. Yeah. Um, and and to be quite honest, I I was very afraid and conflicted in the traditional setting because um, my leanings were never were never pastorally um, in the traditional sense. I wasn't a good shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really good at those things. I've, I've, I've always been um, a pusher forward, an apostle, um, as church would call it, somebody that, that liked to see things move. Yeah. Uh, I've always leaned towards the prophetic. I've always um, kind of been 100 degree, 180 degrees off of the traditional church setting. And and hearing what God was wanting. So um, I was always a little timid, and and when uh, my first centralized conference in Kansas City, when I heard Alan talk about this, it's almost like the blinders came off um, and the chains came off, and I was set free to actually do the ministry that God was calling me to do. Now, I will tell you, it's been really, really difficult to sell that uh, yeah. to people <laughs> yeah. that grew up in the, in the traditional church because they don't have the language. They don't understand what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, even though it's right there in the text, they've never heard of it before, and it's a very difficult sell. But uh, like my, I, I just have to mention my buddy Richard, um, who had never thought that he was an evangelist until um, the rest of our church said, "Dude, you're totally the evangelist in our mm-hmm. church." Yeah. And um, and just last week, he's a uh, he's a warden at the prison, and just last week he led two people back to back to faith in Christ. Um, who were coming out of court, who had just been indicted, who had just been convicted, who were going to spend some time in jail. And he was leading one girl to Christ. And when he got done, another girl came over and said, hey, I don't I don't mean to cry, but I was listening in. And whatever you were saying, I, I need to hear that, too. And so wow. he's just like, well, okay, well, let me tell you the story. And so, um, you know, he's like, I just don't think that's the gift of evangelism. It's like, Richard, God is just lining people up <laughs> for you to share the good news. If that's not the gift of evangelism, I don't know what it is. I mean, that just seems how it works in the Bible, that everywhere Peter went, people were saying, hey, I, want, I would love to hear the good news. So anyway, we're they're starting to catch on. Um, they're starting to, to grasp the concept. Even if they don't have the language, they're starting to grasp the concept. Yeah. So it's been a really neat journey. You know, one of the things that Brad Briscoe said in our last episode is kind of a parting word to aspiring church planners was to be patient and to be patient with yourself, to be patient with the people that your your core group that you're leading this church with, and to be pa- patient with the people that you're reaching. And and so often we we hear these ideas, you know, from an Alan Hirsch or from a Brad Briscoe or somebody, and 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 we share them with our people, and we wonder why they don't understand it not realizing that we've spent several years reading these books and going to these conferences and having these conversations and praying right. through this and mulling over this, and we're not giving them that same courtesy of time to, to process and wrestle with these ideas as well. And, right. uh, and so as a new church plant, I mean, you're introducing some things that they've not heard before and not experienced before, and it just, it just takes time for them to understand um, you know, how God's wired them. Yeah, yeah that, and that's that's exact that's exactly right, and that's the uh, 
that's the I don't want to say roadblocks, but that's the obstacle to, uh, that I'm running into. Yeah. And it's really, it's really just a language barrier, um, and and we're working through that. And uh, and I'm I'm learning to be patient. Yeah. I really am. Yeah. Um, but it's but it but it is hard. Yeah. So talk about you know for in your life as well, uh, working for the company that you work with, and then for for guys like Richard, you are who are in the the county jail there. Uh, you know, I think everybody wants to live as a missionary where they work. They're just not sure how to do that. Uh, is it having gospel conversations around the water cooler? Is it, you know, how are you generating these conversations? How is this happening? So what what is a kind of a, from a practical perspective, if you were to encourage somebody who, who wants to engage people with the gospel in their workplace, you know, what would you share with them? How, how would you tell them to go about that? Um in their in their vocation okay yeah that's a good question i mean the, the, i mean the first thing that i would tell them is to relax <laughs> yeah. Um, that, yeah that the whole world's not riding on their shoulders right that's a big, um, that's a big deal that's great yeah it is a, it's a huge deal and yeah. um you know and I, I i would also also mention to pray for opportunities but um one of the things i've noticed is that we're really disengaged from our coworkers. I mean, we don't, we don't actually, we, we look at our phones the whole time or we look at our computer screens the whole time or we're busy doing our job. We're not actually looking for opportunities to engage our coworkers. And so, um, and that's probably because we're not intentionally seeking opportunities to do that. We're not, we're not being missional. Um, and, and the second thing I would suggest is look for opportunities to listen and not talk. Right. Wow. I mean, actually hear what you're, workers are saying actually listen to their conversation you know if you have to eavesdrop a little bit but um what what are they struggling with where are they hurting what are the, the real issues that they're dealing with so many times i've when i've actually taught evangelism in the past or gone through evangelism training it's all about talking to people it's all about going out and presenting our case and presenting our message and um, walking them through the five steps and it's never about listening. Yeah. We need to we need to learn to listen. Um, and and I'm telling you, every single day there's opportunities for me to to paint with a with a gospel colored brush um, the conversations that happen at our employment. Now, um, I don't get to cuss as much as they do, so the context <laughs> is, a, is a little little different. Um, but yeah. but you know, they're they're real struggles. They're real. I mean, and they might not be a big deal to me, but um, you know. The, the degree of struggle is in the eye of the person that's struggling. Yeah. So um, I, I listen and I say, you know, look, let me tell you, you know, my response to that. So uh, we just need to listen better and then look for ways to connect people with Jesus. They're, they're always there. Stop trying to connect people with the church. Stop trying to connect people um, with religion and just try to connect people with Christ and say, here's what Jesus talked about. Here's here's how he um, handled these situations. And, and I think they're there. And I, I just... Um, I, I know that it's discouraging sometimes, especially in settings where you don't you don't um, you don't know how to engage. But um, listening is probably the best thing. Pray and listen, and then God will give you opportunities yeah. to, to to paint with a, a gospel brush. My dad always told me you have two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. And you know, um, evangelists are kind of annoying. Uh, I just, <laughs> I mean, we. We really are, and we have to we have to guard ourselves because we can be annoying and we can be oppressive. Um, 
and people will stop listening if you just continue to pound them with the same message. And so um, we have to listen to what they're saying and, and address those concerns, sometimes just practically. I mean, if, if um, a guy is struggling to pay his bills, um, you don't always have to address that with the gospel. You can just say, hey, man, let's talk about your finances, and let's address some of these practical concerns that might be getting in the way of you hearing the biblical message that I want to present. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. One of those ways that the, the I think you mentioned before, um, not on this podcast, but to, to Dave and I, is that when you started talking about the kingdom of God with these people, uh, yeah. with the people you work with, that, that there seemed to be this connection to Jesus like you hadn't seen before. Like they were starting to make this connection that uh, maybe if you'd come at them with the Romans road or whatever, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, um, this is it's a very over-evangelized culture in South Arkansas. Uh, I, I, I heard a pastor say the other day there's 123 Baptist churches in our 20-mile radius. That's a lot. Wow. Um, so they they've they've heard they've heard about Jesus. They've heard about the fact that they're a sinner. They've heard all these things um, their whole lives. Um, but but when you start talking about the things that Jesus actually talked about, you start talking about the kingdom of God. You start talking about um, the fact that you know He's making all things new. You start talking about um, the parables that even that Jesus talks. Those things start to make connections. And um, I'm I'm telling you, I. I have been able to just use the stories that Jesus told mm. as connecting points in our ministry. And so whether that be talking about talking about the kingdom of God um, or talking about the, the woman at the well or talking about the rich young ruler, just using his story, I mean, totally ripping them right out of the pages of Scripture. I don't know how the copyright works on that. <laughs> Jesus, is, Jesus has got those licenses or what, but... Um, but just using those stories and not even trying to make, you know, big, broad connections. Um, people are very interested in that, and they actually work. And he, I mean, a lot of the things Jesus taught are life applicable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't yeah. really have to, you don't have to dig too far into the book of Romans. Um, you can just take it right out of Matthew and say, here's what Jesus said about this situation. Yeah. And so um, when, when you start talking about those things, rather than here's what the church says, or here's, you know, um, let me let me lay out for you um, your morality issues, and people will listen. And they're like, "Really, Jesus said that?" Like, yeah, Jesus totally said that. And he didn't like religion much either. Let me tell you what he said about religion. And people <laughs> and, and people people connect to that. Yeah. Um, especially people that know they know if they walk into a church that somebody's going to say, "What in the world are you doing here?" Or this place is probably going to get struck by lightning that you're here. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They they know they're sinners. You don't have to tell them that. Um, what you have to do is tell tell them that Jesus came for sinners. You know, he he loved sinners, and and it's neat. It's neat to connect them. Man, that's that's great. That's great. Well, and I you know I love the fact that you've uh, they call you the Rev. You know, where yeah, where you are, and, and that and that's a term of endearment. That's not a that's not a slight. Uh, you know, because you're their friend. I mean, you, you're not just their coworker. You're their friend, and. Uh, they value you know what you bring to the table you know there as a friend and you're an encourager and so uh, that's man that's awesome I love that um, we're gonna kind of wrap up now with a couple of things let me ask you this before we get into our kind of next last section with you yeah you know, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you started your ministry journey 
This was the best question that you sent me. Do, do we have time um, I, for this? <laughs> you do, and I and I was I was trying. I, I boiled it down um, to this: that that discipleship is a lifelong journey. Yeah. Um, I remember the very first time that I was disappointed in ministry. It was as a youth pastor, um, and man, things were rocking. The youth group was growing. It was growing exponentially. Things were. Um, Things were going crazy. I had visions that I was the next Doug Fields. I was thinking about growing a mustache. You know, it was going to be awesome. And um, and um, a girl came in that was like my premier um, youth leader. I was training her to be everything, and um, she she said I need to talk to you. And she told me she was pregnant. Uh. Um, and I mean, and I was so worried about my disappointment in my leadership and my ability. Um, that I totally neglected to minister to her in her time of need. Mm. Um, and it was, a, it, it, I still look back at that to think, man, I, I really did not have the patience to do the job that I was doing. I didn't realize that discipleship is not a one and done. You're, you're ready to rock. Um, it was, this is a journey that you're going to walk with people and they're going to have ups and downs just like you are. Yeah. Um, and, and if I had known that then, man, um, well, I'm telling you right now, I would be an excellent youth pastor now because I'm way more patient than I ever was <laughs> when I was when I was a student minister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, discipleship's a journey. It you are not going to. I'm not going to lead these um, these guys. That I mean, I got one guy that did 20 years for murder. I'm not going to lead him to Christ and then expect him to be completely sanctified on the spot. Right. You know, um, it's it's a journey, and I got to. If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to be a disciple maker. I have to be prepared to um, to walk with them, and sometimes that's in the ditch, and sometimes um, you got to get down in there with them, and just just walk with them. So, yeah, you know, I think with age comes patience as well. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've found that in in my life also, and uh, I still have no patience for seventh grade boys. <laughs> <laughs> just personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to have a seventh grade boy uh, yeah. one of well, these days. Be a few years. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Andy, now we want to move into our rapid-fire section where we're just going to give you kind of some real quick uh, questions, and we want okay. real quick answers, okay? Okay. Uh, yeah. Hence, rapid-fire. All right, <laughs> yeah, top, top one or two books have had the most impact on you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything from Tully and Savigian. That's That reshaped my, my whole life. Um, and honestly, the one that's affecting me right now the most is um, A Farewell to Mars by Brian Zahn. Mm. And I've read it twice, and every time I read it, it just breaks my heart. Wow. Hmm. What, uh, your biggest strength in church planning, your biggest challenge to overcome, weakness to overcome? Biggest strength is um, probably charisma and the ability to connect with people. I, I, I'm, I love the gospel, and it's just it's almost a challenge and fun for me to find those connections. Biggest weakness is fear, um, and it's not fear from from the world. It's fear from the establishment. And church planters, when they begin to um, become radicalized, I guess is what I am. Yeah, <laughs> um, there is uh, there is you're on an island. And, yeah, um, and every every pastor um, is trying to uh, bomb you with something and. Um, yeah, you just you just be friends with me on Facebook. You'll see that there's a lot of people that that, that do not like me, and that's <laughs> and that that I'm 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 scared. I really am. I'm scared that um, I'm I'm scared that they will attack me and continue to attack me, and they probably will. And I have to, to overcome that. Yeah. 
Uh, how we about, like you. <laughs> how about a favorite hobby or pastime? Golf. Uh, I'm a golfer. I, I, that's my favorite thing to do. Favorite movie? Wow, that's a toss-up um, between two terrible ones, Nacho Libre <laughs> or The Big Lebowski. Um, so, yeah, that will probably get some bad emails. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about not wanting people to attack you. Uh, well, right. <laughs> yeah. How much of that is self-inflicted? No, I'm kidding, Andy. I'm totally yeah, kidding. Totally, it, totally kidding. Totally well, kidding. Well, my favorite is no, Monty I, Python, the Holy was, Grail. What I meant was the Bible series and <laughs> <Fire. laughs> Exactly, exactly. Right. How about your favorite band or musician? Um, Switchfoot or Jimmy Buffett, but probably Switchfoot <laughs> wins that battle. Okay. Well, that'll redeem you from uh, Big Lebowski. Yeah, that's right. So, that's, uh, right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, hey, man, we're going to wrap up with this question. You know, if, if you could say one thing you know, to aspiring church planners, you know, what would it be? Yeah, if I, I would ask one question, um, and I would say, if you weren't getting paid to plant a church, would you, would you still do it? Yeah. Um, and if the question was yes, then I'd say, well, then, then go do it. There's, no, there's nothing that can stop you. Right. Um, but if you're going to be concerned your whole life of a church planner on whether the money's going to come in or whether you're going to you're going to have the resources you need, then um, just just put it in the bag for a while. But can you do this without getting paid to do it? And if the answer is still yes, then you're called to do it and go do it. Yeah. Um, and make disciples. That's a great word, man. Great word. Good stuff. Yeah. Andy, buddy, thank you for joining us, and uh, uh, we've enjoyed this conversation. And whether anybody else likes you or not, Chad and I do. Hey, we sure do. Well, appreciate awesome. everything you're doing. Seriously. Yeah, hang in there, buddy. We'll continue to pray right. for you. God's and, using you in great ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. Great conversation with Andy Witten. Uh, love that guy. Uh, got to know him. Uh, met him at Centralized Conference in Kansas City about mm-hmm. three or four years ago, and uh, just love his heart. Andy is passionate about the gospel, as you can tell. Yes. And, and not just passionate about the gospel in an information sense, but in sharing the gospel and and communicating the gospel to the people that desperately need it. And mm-hmm. uh, if you don't hear anything else in that, that interview with Andy, uh, know that day in, day out, and we really get stories j- almost every day, uh, like the one we shared last time on the podcast with Brad Briscoe, uh, of the guys that he's working with and the ways that the gospel is intersecting in their lives, just out of conversations, daily conversations they're having, and he takes advantage of those opportunities to say, well, here's what Jesus says about that. Here's what the Bible says about that. And, and those guys are listening. Uh, it's just incredible what's happening down there, and yeah. I know there's going to be some amazing fruit uh, come out of his ministry there. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Well, a couple of thoughts. Any other thoughts you had from what he said? Uh uh, just, you know, uh, Andy really is one that uh, he's not taking a salary, doesn't want to take a salary. Uh, he's working, has a good job. He and his wife both have good jobs to provide for their family. And uh, his question is, if you don't get paid for this, would you still plant the church? I mean, that's a legitimate question to mm-hmm. ask. If nobody comes alongside you, if there's no other partnership resources or anything, and you believe God has called you to plant the church, do you still be obedient to God and do what he's called you to do? Man. And that that is a, a legitimate question to ask. And I think it, it comes to a sense of calling. And if you can't say yes to that question, I, I've heard several guys say over the years, 
if nobody comes with us on this, we have to do this. Mm. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. When when a guy's talking about like, playing the church, we have to do this. There's an urgency there. Yeah, there's an urgency. There's a a divine calling there that mm-hmm. just you can't let go of. There's just nothing else you can do. You, you have to do what what God has called you to do. And that's one of the things I've loved about Andy, and, and he's doing it, and uh, and it looks different, but he is reaching some some radically lost folks mm-hmm. that desperately need the gospel, and and they're not going to come to his church to hear it unless he's working with them day in day out, having those conversations. Yeah, there's something to be said for it looks different. He's reaching people who are different. Who are different. You know, yeah. and, and that goes back to needing all sorts of expressions of church. Yeah. You know, we need the institutional church. We need the established church. We need the existing church. But we also need fresh expressions of church as well. Yes. You know, and because uh, even talking to Brad last time on the podcast about that missional uh, or, or uh, cultural distance. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we've got to have people that are taking those uh, steps towards crossing those barriers. So, yeah, I appreciated what he said about just uh, talking about things with people that Jesus talked about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, almost, it was almost too obvious and too simple. He's like, <laughs> I just yeah. use Jesus' story. I just do what Jesus did. Yeah. You know, but I do think we overlook that. Yeah. Like, uh, that absolutely telling the stories about the kingdom of God and, and and telling parables and just doing what Jesus did, using the methods that Jesus used yeah. uh, to to share uh, with people is is absolutely huge. He also said uh, we we've, we've got to find a way to share the gospel with people in places that are that are I think he said natural maybe right. And I think about uh, what I heard Todd Ingstrom say once is you want neutral and natural. Yeah, you want places to engage people. We're sharing the gospel is neutral and natural. Yeah. Not that the gospel is neutral, but but able to talk about it in a way that doesn't feel forced or confrontational or just knocking on somebody's door. Yeah. So I, I appreciate him being in that, in that bivocational setting where it's natural to share the gospel. Right. Like it's just part of his conversation. It's right. who he is. Right. You know, it's right. who we are as believers. Right. So sharing the gospel should, should be neutral and natural for us. So finding those places... Um, those third places, those live, work, and play uh, places, whatever it may be, uh, where we can just be neutral and natural, sharing the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it was important, you know, he, he said that, I mean, these gospel conversations come out of things that his guys are telling him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's listening. You know, yeah. what are the needs? What are, what are the struggles? Okay, what does the Bible have to say about those needs and struggles? Yeah. How can Jesus intersect where they are in their lives, and and you know, as he said, you know, it's a second chance kind of employment place. So these are these are not typical rank and file Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Tucker says all the time that Southern Baptists are middle class Anglo's for the most part, mm-hmm. vast majority, and we've not done a good job, you know, reaching outside of that. Some a little bit both ways, you know, upper economic, lower economic, upper education, lower education, but but not consistently as a whole and here's a here's a guy that is going after a segment of the population that uh, is not indicative of most you know Southern Baptist churches and it, it looks different uh, it is different and uh, but the gospel is still relevant and, and impactful and these guys are responding to to what they they're hearing Jesus say and and how he intersects with their struggles I just I love it yeah it's uh, great. excited to see see how this develops down mm-hmm. there so pray. Uh, for Andy Witten and Root Church down in El Dorado. Uh, God's going to do great things there. All right, now we're going to pitch it to uh, uh, our own Uncle Neil Scoggins for Storytime with Neil. 
This story comes from Jared Sears, the pastor of Narrative Church in Bentonville, Arkansas. One of his members was praying about what their family's responsibilities would look like in Narrative Church. Right after that, they were introduced to another family that lived on their street that had a child the same age as their son. They didn't have a chance to exchange numbers at that time, but they later met at their home and exchanged contact information. The church members tried contacting the other family, but they didn't respond. Now, the church member's son urged his parents to go visit the other family so the children could play together. And when they arrived, they realized that this was actually a Hindu family. Their family expressed an interest in allowing their son to learn more about the Bible and about Christianity. However, they did not want to be a part of a big church. The church members began discussing house churches with this Hindu family, and they became very interested. Not only was this couple able to connect with neighbors, they were able to share Christ and invite the Hindu family to their house church. It turns out that this family's mission field was in their own backyard. Just remember, your mission field may be closer than you think. We'd love to hear your story. Find out how to share it with us in the show notes of this episode. All right, that's another great story. Appreciate Neil sharing that. A lot of great things happening in our in our state. Now it's time for our bookshelf. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. Uh, for me this week is uh, the new book by Will Mancini called God Dreams. Uh, it's kind of a sequel to his book, uh, Church Unique, uh, which is on vision and uh, casting vision, developing vision, implementing vision. But the thing I love about God Dreams, I think he takes everything that he said in Church Unique and then puts it in a fashion that most people can understand mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> in, in God Dreams. And, and the 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 book is the it's worth the price of the book for the middle section of this book where he gives 12 vision templates. Hmm. Uh, if you don't read anything else in, in the book, those those 12 vision templates in the middle are worth the price of the book. Uh, in, in all of his consulting and interaction with churches and organizations, he's kind of boiled down to really kind of four overarching visions and then three variations within each of those four visions. And as I was reading through those templates, I'm thinking of churches all over our state. Mm-hmm. Uh, this church is this vision template, or this church is this vision template. And, and you're going to find affinity with probably a couple of those in there. But just the way he broke those down, the the characteristics of the vision, the, the functions of the church coming out of that vision were so helpful. And I think as church pastors or church planters are planting new churches, it would be good to read this book and, and look at some of those templates and and figure out, okay, hey, this is this is kind of where we're going. Yeah. Here's some things that will help us get to, to where we and accomplish that, that vision. It, def- it definitely helps you prioritize. Yeah. Because I yeah. feel like with church, it's so easy to be all over the place doing 16 different ministries. Yeah. And, and, and what Mancini helps you do is narrow it down to, okay, what is your church uniquely gifted to do? Right. That... That no other maybe no other church in your community is gifted to do, or you know, don't try to be who you're not. Right. Be who God has made you to be. What are the resources you have? Who are the people you have? And then 
give everything you have to that. Yeah. And I, I, I think maybe there's a danger in getting too narrow, right. you know, to that. But he does help it, you narrow in focus. Exactly. And, yeah, and bring focus and to what you're doing. So, yeah, good good stuff. Great stuff. And, and you, Chad? Yeah, so Center Church by Tim Keller is... Uh, the magnum opus. Oh, my gosh. So I've been listening to it on audiobook. <laughs> I think it's a 21-hour audiobook. Yeah. It's like eating an elephant, yeah. you know, one bite at a time. Sometimes I don't even turn it on because I'm like, oh, gosh, 21 hours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a few hours in. Uh, I think on chapter ten, uh, he he started this section on contextualization, and man, it is so helpful for church planters. Uh, so many applications, and 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 this is the thing that stood out to me about contextualization. Uh, he says if if you if you're in construction and you're trying to build a road and you have a you have a rock in the way or a mountain in the way, he's like you can't just put dynamite on it because you'll you'll just blow off the face of the rock and it'll still be there, and you can't just drill through it because it'll take a million holes to do that. You got to drill the hole and drop the dynamite in and light it, and then you got some movement, you right. know. So he says what we what we typically think about when we're engaging our culture is either, you know, just drilling through uh, barely a little bit at a time or we just we're so confrontational that we're just blowing the face off of people. Yeah. He's like you got to balance those things, you know, you and so I I think the way he says we should do that is with what he calls A doctrines and B doctrines and or, or our culture has A beliefs and B beliefs. A beliefs are kind of what people naturally believe that corresponds with Scripture. Right. That there are things that people believe and adhere to that Scripture teaches. So right. it's like find those things uh, and and affirm those things culturally. So, but then there's going to be B beliefs that people have that that they don't agree with what Scripture teaches. Yeah. But you don't lead with B doctrines and B beliefs. You lead with the A doctrines that then catapult to uh, the B doctrines. For, right. for instance... If you believe A, how can you not believe B, is right. what he would say. So he says, you know, if you if you try to float, rocks don't float. Rocks sink, logs float. If you're going to float rocks across the river, you got to put the logs together to get them across. So he said, you always float a, a B doctrines on A doctrines. So it was super helpful for me, just, just for, here's a for, for instance. He says, you know, where he ministers in Manhattan, he says, if you... Tell people the Bible teaches turn the other cheek. They may f- may find that to be noble. He says, but in the Middle East, they would see that as a weakness, right? You know, right. so so for for people, it may be an A doctrine in Manhattan. It's a B. It's a B doctrine in, in the Middle East. So I think where that's helpful for church planters is you just see all these people, especially like on social media, who are so confrontational. Yeah, and and, and they're they're bringing up to me so many B beliefs and attacking B beliefs and using B doctrines with our culture that we're losing people altogether. We're just blowing the face off the rock. You yeah. know? There's just no heart change, life change, because we, we're not floating the, the B B doctrines on the A doctrines. So I, I think we've got to do really, we got to go back to doing better cultural exegesis. We yeah. got to do better about seeing what our culture uh, values and how we can affirm that and and, and bring some, some kindness and some gentleness and then launch off of those uh, to those B beliefs, B doctrines. I don't know. Is that? Oh, uh, it, I, it I know comes, I said a lot of A B in there. It sounded like algebra there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. and if you got A, uh, then what's B, and where yeah. does C come in? I didn't in? do a great job yeah. explaining it. But. <laughs> well, it, I think it comes back to what Andy said that we've got to learn to listen more. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not just to 
you know, what the culture is saying and, and accepting that mm-hmm. as it is, but what the culture is saying, and then how can the gospel intersect and speak into that? Yeah. And, and so uh, I think that's definitely what Keller's getting at and does a brilliant mm-hmm. job uh, mm-hmm. where he is in, in Manhattan in yeah. kind of a crazy culture exactly. up there where he encounters a lot of different mm-hmm. belief systems uh, that he has to engage with the gospel. I just think it's it's completely unhelpful in our culture and day and time to be confrontational w- first off. Yeah. Like when you first meet somebody, or first, you, there's got to be something that you float the more confrontational things. So one example he gave was idolatry. He said yeah. he found out people didn't like it when you talked about sin in New York. Yeah. <laughs> he said, but one thing he could talk about was idolatry. Yeah. That they're building their life on something that's not Jesus that ultimately is not going to fulfill them. Well, that's that's him talking about sin, but he's couching it in the biblical language of idolatry. Yeah. So finding ways to do that as a church planter in our evangelism, you know, strategies and stuff is is huge. So it's yeah. it's been that's been a big deal. Well, and that's a great example of contextualization informing our speech. Exactly. And uh, exactly. taking the gospel that never changes, that is always true, and, and couching it in terms that people can understand and respond. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, good stuff, man. All right, guys. Well, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're up there now, and uh, we'll probably be other places soon, but uh, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to this. So we welcome that and uh, excited to be doing this and hope you're enjoying it. And coming up next, uh, we hope to have our executive director, Dr. Sonny Tucker, on for an interview. He is the busiest man in the ABSC. I tell you, it's just crazy the schedule uh, that he keeps. Uh, He's so relational and loves people and loves the church in Arkansas so much and just has a servant's heart. Uh, He is a busy guy. And so we're going to try and get him on the podcast for next week. And let you hear from him and his passion for church planting in Arkansas and kind of his vision for where he sees things going uh, in Arkansas. We're excited about that uh, as he's just a blast to hang out with anyway. And so uh, thank you for listening and I hope to see you next time on The Grind. Keep grinding.